Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. Uh, we thank you, Jesus, for the word of God that not only shows us who you are, God, that's what we really need to see, but God, it also shows us who we are. And Father, we understand that we're not going to get this message from the world. Uh, we're not going to read uh, this description of mankind in Time magazine. We're not going to see it on the news. But Father, we believe it's true. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to respond today to the depths of our depravity by looking to the glories of the cross. Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So far, we went through Ephesians chapter 1. If I could kind of summarize the scriptures that we looked at in Ephesians chapter 1, they are all God-glorifying. They're all God-describing. They are all describing and, and characterizing and, and teaching us about what God has done, uh, what He will do, uh, who He is, uh, the riches of His character. And so it's kind of interesting that in chapter 2, all of a sudden there's a switch, okay? All of a sudden from, from going from God's sovereignty and God's election and God's love and God, God's grace and God's salvation and God's cross in chapter 1 of Ephesians, all of a sudden in chapter 2, Paul kind of turns the tables and we see ourselves, okay? All of a sudden Paul says, all right, now here's the mirror. Look at who you are for a few minutes, okay? Now, now that's important for several reasons. One of them we'll talk about later on in the service. Let me just give you a preview. It's really hard to know who God is rightly unless you know who you are rightly. Okay, does that make sense? It's really hard for you to appreciate what God has done. It's really hard for you to really get a hold of the glory of the cross if you don't understand who you are in a biblical sense, who you are in a reality sense according to God's reality, which is in the Scriptures. Okay? Now, the second thing that, that, that's interesting about this is this, this passage, these three short verses that describe for us the plague of mankind, that describe for us the depravity of our souls, really answer a lot of questions that people are asking, okay? I think there's a lot of people that ask the question, why do I do what I do, okay? I think there's five people that woke up this morning in a mess in their life, and they asked themselves the question, why do I keep doing what I do, okay? I think there's a lot of people that ask, ask that question. I think there's a lot of people that ask the question, why don't I want what I ought to want, you know? Why don't I desire what I ought to desire? Why, why do I desire the things that, that I shouldn't, you know? Why, why is it so hard for me to, to love the things that I know I ought to love? You know, why is it so hard to read my Bible? Why is it so hard to pray? Why is it so hard to be excited about worship? Why am I excited about all the wrong things and not excited about all the right things? You know, why, why, why do I do the things that I do? Why am I so angry? Why am I so critical? Why am I so mean-spirited? Why do I struggle with discipline and, and disciplining myself for the things of God? You, you may be asking, and our world is asking, why is there murder and rape and theft and lies and child abuse and divorce and assault and war? Why is there a Ted Bundy and why is there a Saddam Hussein and why is there an Adolf Hitler? I was preaching Tuesday night uh, up in Kansas and, and I had slotted that night for anger. And uh, God just kind of laid that out. And Tuesday night was going to be night that I preached on anger out of the life of Moses. And so I preached on anger. And uh, we, I, preached, uh, I started the sermon talking about how one you know, lapse of, of carelessness in a person's life could, could, could ripple waves of destruction 
throughout many, many lives. And, and, and after the service, a lady came up and I talked to her. That very day, her co-worker had been gunned down by her husband, shot and killed by her ex-husband in front of their two children. And here's the question that was asked in that service that night. Why? Why? Why is all that stuff true? Why are we like we are? Why do we struggle like we do? Why is there the junk and the, the, the horrendous, catastrophic things that are happening in our world? Well, the answer is in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Paul describes us as dead. Now, now that might be a little awkward to you thinking, well, what, what exactly does he mean? Because it's, it's clear that we're alive. You know, it's clear that we, we're in this room and we drove here and we walked here and you're sitting up and you're breathing. And you just listened and, 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 and you're looking and seeing and all of those things are still happening in your life. So what does Paul mean by, by being dead? Well, obviously, Paul is talking about a spiritual death. Okay, he's talking about being dead spiritually. Now, now, however, keep physical death in your mind, because understanding physical death and physical life helps us understand what Paul is saying when he talks about spiritual death and spiritual life. For instance, when someone dies physically, one of the things that's very clear to us is that there's a separation that's made, isn't there? Any funeral you go to, it's very clear that all of a sudden there's this person who's not with us anymore, right? We're all together. We're all in this room. We're all sharing life together. We'll all drive to restaurants and we'll eat and, and we'll talk and we'll converse and we'll, we'll go home and we'll, we'll, we'll take a nap and we'll visit with our family and we'll parent our kids. But someone who dies is not in that world anymore, right? There's a separation. That's what's so hurtful about death, physical death, is because we know they're not with us anymore. They're somewhere else and we're here and we're separated from them. And in the same way, the Bible says in spiritual death, which all of us were dead spiritually, we were separated from spiritual life. Who is Jesus Christ? Okay. Notice I said, who is Jesus Christ? Okay. Jesus is life. He he is spiritual life. In John chapter 14, verse six, the Bible says, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus says, I am the life. He said that about himself. In John 11, 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Okay, so Jesus points to himself and says, what you understand is I am life. I am true life. Okay, now right now we're living physical life. But 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 if, if your spiritual condition does not change, you'll have spiritual death because you will be separated from God, from Jesus forever and ever. And only in Jesus is there genuine life, true life, abundant life, fulfilling life, eternal life, life forevermore. That is only in Christ. It's wrapped up in him. And unless you're joined to him, then you don't have life. Now, that doesn't mean you'll cease to exist. A lot of people desperately want death to be just that. I don't exist anymore. You know, I'm, I'm just done. A lot of people, that's what they, that's what they hold on to in their minds. That I'm going to live this life and, and I'm going to die a death someday. And after I do, I just won't be anymore. You know, I, I'll never remember. I'll never be anywhere. I just, I'll just stop and it'll stop and it'll be over and I'll be nowhere and I'll be gone. Folks, that is not true. You will never cease to exist. You may never have life. You may come to a point where you have no life, but you'll never cease to exist. You will exist for all eternity in one of two states, either in eternal death or eternal life. Okay? You'll either be in a place the Bible calls hell, separated from God, separated from His goodness, separated from all of His blessings, which you now experience many of them. But, but, but upon physical death, if you are spiritually dead, you'll be separated from Him forever. Or you'll spend it in heaven with Christ Joined to him because he is life. So first of all, when Paul says you're spiritually dead, you were spiritually dead. What he talks about is you're separated from God. Okay. The second thing that that means is that, that you are unresponsive to God. Okay. 
One of the things that, that, that we know about physical life is that people who are dead are unresponsive. That, that's why when someone comes in and someone's on the floor or they're, they're, uh, they're, they're in the hospital, and I, I've had this happen to me before. I've gone in to check on somebody uh, who I'd been praying for. I'd been out in the hall. I came in. I grabbed their hand, and I, and I knew there's something wrong. They're not there. And I began to talk to them, and I began to, to, to speak into their ear, and I began to shake them and touch them, and they did not respond. Okay, And they did not respond because they were physically dead. They were gone. And, and, and so being spiritually dead in the same way means we are unresponsive. Okay, We don't hear as we ought to hear. We don't see as we ought to see. We don't taste as we ought to taste. We, we, we don't respond to God as we ought to respond. That's what it means to be spiritually dead is that we're unresponsive to God. We don't respond to His kindness. I remember that. I remember when I was spiritually dead, I did not respond to the kindness of God. I did not respond to the, to the Word of God. Man, I sit through week after week, Sunday after Sunday of preaching in which I did not respond to the word of God. I heard it as far as hearing the physical words being said by the guy up front, but I didn't respond to it. It did not affect me. It did not change me. I didn't respond to to, to God's wrath or to sin. I was dead. And and, and being dead, I could not please God. I could not act in God-honoring ways. All of my righteousness, all the things that that I might look to and say, well, look, this is why I'm a good person. None of them were true because I was spiritually dead and unresponsive to God. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says, We've all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. In a spiritually dead condition, you cannot please God because you're not responding to God. You're spiritually flatlined. That's why as you read through the New Testament stories, you read through the Gospels, you'll see, you know, the story I think of, we read it in our daily Bible reading this week, was where Jesus is walking through this town, and there's a thing it's called Nain, and there's a funeral procession, okay? And here they're carrying this young man out. And he's dead, and he's in the coffin. And Jesus stops the funeral, and he puts his hand on it, and he says, "Arise!" And that that, that guy comes to life, and he gets up. And, and Jesus gives him to his mother. And another story in John chapter eleven, where Jesus is at the grave of Lazarus, and, and he comes, he says, "Roll away the stone." And, and the family says, "Lord, we can't do that. It's going to stink. I mean, there's already going to be a stench. He's been dead four days. We can't. We we don't we don't want to roll away." Jesus says, "Roll it away." And they roll away the stone and Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man comes out and walks. Now, here's the interesting thing. There were people at both of those occasions who saw the dead being raised. And you know what they did? They began to plot his death. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it says that in John chapter 11. It says, man, the people that were there, the Pharisees and the religious, they began to say, how are we going to kill this guy? I mean, they just saw Jesus raise the dead. They know he has proclaimed to be the Son of God. And they're saying, how can we get rid of him? You know why? They're spiritually dead. You say, oh, but pastor, we're not like that. I was. I was. I remember going, this one one of my most shameful moments in my entire life. If if you ask me, what's your your most shameful moment? It would be this. I was in high school. Uh, I was, was I don't know, probably a sophomore, junior, somewhere in there. And uh, our Sunday school class uh, was asked to do an Easter pageant. 
And uh, so we, we did, and because I can remember, I'm pretty good at memorizing and speaking. I got one of the speaking parts, so I'm one of the disciples, I think, if it was. And, and I had my part, and I watched. We went through the drama. It was an incredible production. It was out in, in a state park with a, with a hillside and an actual cave and a stone and a cross. And I watched as, as Jesus was crucified, as the, 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 the depiction of Christ on the cross and the resurrection of the disciples. And all the while, the only thing I'm thinking of is how soon is this thing going to be over so that I can get to town, so that I can join the party that's already going on because it was a Friday night. And as I think about that, there was a deadness to me. Do you see that? The cross did not impact me. The resurrection did not impact me. My, my sin, none of that. I mean, I knew it and I felt a little guilty for I knew that, you know, I was really, but, but it didn't change me. I was unresponsive to the things of God. And as you look around our world today, you see people just living in a catastrophe of a life. And they're unresponsive to the gospel. And they're unresponsive to to prayer and the scriptures and the saints and the church. They're unresponsive. And the reason is they are spiritually dead. Now it gets worse. Not only are we spiritually dead, but verse 2 tells us, says, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work, and the sons of disobedience. Basically what Paul says in verse 2 is that we're all caught in the riptide of satanic values. Okay? Now what do I mean by riptide? You know what a riptide is? A riptide is if you're ever on the ocean, there are certain channels. It just depends on the, on the geography of the place. place but, but, but water will come in and it will funnel out in one spot. Not all of it, but the current will. And so it creates a riptide. If you get caught in a riptide, you can't swim against it. In fact, anybody will tell you, lifeguards will say, don't even try. If you try, you'll die. Because you'll, you'll exhaust yourself, you won't be, and you'll, you'll just drown. That's how people drown every year in riptide. Something like I think I read on the, on the internet, 120 people uh, drown every year in a riptide. And it's because they try to swim against it. You can't swim against it. Okay? And what Paul describes here when he talks about the course of this world, that all of us, all of us, it says all of you once walked in this course. Okay? You once followed the prince of the power of the air. Who's Satan? And what Paul is describing there is a current of the world that that everybody is stuck in without Jesus Christ. Okay? And it's a current that's opposed to God, that exalts self, it exalts man in the place of God. Okay, it's very clear, isn't it, as we just look around, our culture values certain things above others. Is that not true? I mean, our culture holds up certain things, and, you know, not formally maybe, but just in what they emphasize and how we look at things in our media and our books and our stories and our teaching and our educational stuff. It all values certain things, and it doesn't value other things. And one of the things it doesn't value is God. One of the things that you're not going to see promoted and, and, and put forth as being valuable and, and, and to be sought after is things like worship or things like prayer or things like, like the scriptures. You're not going to see that those aren't in the current of the world. But rather in the current of the world is a very God-disarming, Christ-reviling, spirit-grieving way of living. And, and here's what Paul says. We're all stuck in that. Without Christ, we are. Without Christ, we're stuck in that. You know, maybe this is a silly illustration, but... When I think about the, the course of this world that, that Paul's talking about, this, this current that every, you know, everybody just flows in, and we're all going this one direction, I, I think about cursing, okay? This just, to me, this is a great example of this very same thing. If somebody in Texas all the way up to North Dakota, someone in California all the way to, to, to Maine, if, if they're going to curse, if, they, if they're going to, to use words that express violence or immorality or disgust, or excitement, or just simply words that just express nothingness, you know? Just an exaggeration, just an expletive, okay? 
Isn't it interesting, and I'm not going to mention all the words they're going to use, but isn't it interesting that they're going to use words like Jesus Christ, God, hell, right? It's cold as hell, it's hot as hell, it's windy, it's, my ice cream is as good as, you know, I mean, it's endless, isn't it? Why? Why? Why those three words? Why from, from a nation that many would say, I don't even believe in those things, you know? I mean, it, it, there's a whole bunch of people who say, I don't even believe in a hell. No, I, this Jesus guy, he's just some historical figure that was nothing. It's nobody. It's all, it's all a facade. Well, then why are you picking his name to say over and over? You, you see what I'm saying? How, how did that happen? How did that happen? You know, if, if you got this group of people that do believe in him and that hold his name sacred, then they surely wouldn't use it that way. And you got this other group of people that doesn't believe in him. Well, then why pick his name to, to say over and over? You know, as, as you curse. You know why? Because there's, there's a current in there. There's a current. There's a current that, that flows in a God-dishonoring way. And verse 2 tells us that, that it's led by or, or produced by the prince of the power of the air. Now, who is it? That's Satan. Okay? Isn't it interesting, though, that it says the prince of the power of the air? Why the air? You know, is, is that saying that, 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 that Satan's flying up above us? You know, all these demons, you know, there's this flight pattern that's going. And, and that's not, I don't think that's the point of that. I think the point of it is, is simply that, that, that they're everywhere. Okay? That that, 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 that whole current is, is the air that we breathe. You've heard that expression before, haven't you? Or maybe you've heard the expression, fear filled the air, or excitement filled the air. What does that mean? If you're in a stadium and excitement fills the air, what does that mean? It's everywhere, right? It's all over. Everybody's breathing it. You know, we don't know where it come from. Nobody said, all right, everybody be excited now. You know, it's not that. It's, it's everywhere. It's surrounding us. Okay, well, in a literal way, Ephesians 2, verse, verse 2 tells us that there is a current, an, an anti-God current that surrounds us, that comes out in our stories, in our books, in our movies, in our literature, in our school system. It's everywhere. It, 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 it flows. It's, it's underneath. It's all over. It's the air we breathe. And Satan is in charge of that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us his strategy. It says in verse 4, In their case, the God of this world, that would be Satan, has blinded the minds. Here's what he wants to do. Blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. What, what is Satan about to do? He, he, he's out to hide from us the glory of God. Okay? So he's going to do everything he can to keep you from seeing the glory of God. He's going to do that mainly through lies. John 8, 44 says the devil is a, a liar and the father of lies. Okay, So what he's going to do, is he's, he's going to lie about God, first of all. He's going he's gonna to say that God is not that great, that, that, that he's not that good. He didn't have your, your best interest in mind. He started doing that in the fall, didn't he? Genesis chapter 3. Man, you won't die. Man, did God say you can't eat of any of these trees? I mean, he's lying to them. He's trying to, trying to diminish God in their eyes. And the second thing he's going to lie about is the world. And he's going to tell you it's better than it really is. Okay? He's going to tell you that having money is better than it really is. He's going to lie to you about possessions. He's going to lie to you about pride. He's going to lie to you about, about position and authority. He's going to lie to you about all those things. And, and he's going to make Jesus look bad, and he's going to make the world look good. Okay? That, that's, that's the plan of statement. That's the current of our world. In fact, Matthew 13, 19, interesting passage, talked about a farmer, and it likens the word of God to seed that's sowed, okay? And, and it says that some seed fell upon the hard ground, and it says that Satan comes on unbelieving hearts, and he steals the seed away. Man, is that true? I mean, think about that. Is that really true? I mean, was Jesus just kidding there? Or is that true that, that people will come into a church service or, the, or, or to your family gathering where, where you're sharing your testimony or whatever situation where the word's going forth, 
And that actually the hardness of their heart keeps the word from penetrating because they're spiritually dead. And Satan comes in and distracts them and pulls their mind away and doesn't let the word sink in. Is that true? Jesus says it is. What do you think? I mean, is that true? I think it is. That that happens. Now, we might be real tempted to blame everything. A lot of people do this on the world and on Satan, right? And I say, yeah, yeah, man, pastor, preach on, man, our stinking world. And it's, it's the world's fault. And it's the, it's the liberals. And it's, the, it's this and it's that. And, you know, hey, let's also point the finger right back here. Okay, look at verse 3. Among whom we all once lived, what? In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. You know what that says? That says it's not just the world and it's not just Satan, but you are inherently broken. Okay, that, that's that, that's the biggest problem that we got to deal with is that we're inherently broken. We are born sinners. Not only do we sin, but we're also born sinners. We have a sin nature, which means we desire the wrong things. If I turn back a page in my Bible, Galatians chapter five, verse 17 says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep us from doing the things we want to do. What does that mean? That means that in me and in you are wrong desires. We're bent the wrong way. That's called sin. And because of that, we desire what we shouldn't desire. We want what we shouldn't want. And you know what that does? That makes it really not that hard for the devil in the world to push us along. Okay? Think about it. Have you ever seen a PBS documentary on the five reasons you should be vengeful? You know, have you ever seen that? You know, I mean, is that what we're talking about? That the, the world has to put out this, you know, page. Here's why you ought to seek revenge. Is that what the world does? The world doesn't do that. You know, it doesn't have to do that. It can be much more subtle. You know why? Because revenge is already in you, isn't it? Somebody hurts you. You get hurt. You get offended. And within you already is a spirit that says, I don't want to leave this to God. I don't want to get over this. I don't want to forgive. I want even. I want to hurt them. Where's that come from? Well, it comes from in you. And so all Satan has to do, all the world does, is pushes along in a current that affirms that. Right? And, and there is that current, isn't there? I mean, how, how many big blockbuster movies this summer are going to hit out, you know, come out, in, in which the whole theme of the movie is a guy who has horribly done wrong, and he gives it all to Jesus, and he trusts Jesus to take care of him and, and to handle his, his struggles and his hurt? How, how, many, how many of those are going to come out? Probably not very many. How many movies are going to come out where someone's done wrong, and they pack their pistol, and they kill them all? You know, there'll be a lot of those, won't there? Car chases, explosions, you know, Rambo, unload your gun. There'll be a lot of those, okay? That's the current of our world. You know, you know the, the world does not have to give us five reasons why you ought to be promiscuous sexually, okay? Don't need that. They don't have to be that blunt. Here's the scary thing. They probably are that blunt, okay? But they wouldn't have to be. You know why? Because it's already in mankind. In mankind already is, is a desire to want things sexually that they shouldn't want. So what, is, what does the world do? What does Satan do? They simply exalt it. They simply flaunt it. They flaunt the human body. They flaunt sensuality. They give us a thousand examples a day in, in media and on television and in movies and billboards and in the grocery store magazine rack of people who supposedly are promiscuous sexually and living it high. It's a lie. It's all lies. It's all lies. And it's part of the condition of who we are. Now, some of you, I got a feeling, if you're anything like the demographic of our world, there are going to be some people in here who say, that's good, Pastor. I'm glad you're talking about those folks. 
but I'm not that way. Really. There, there, I guarantee you, in, in the two services today, I guarantee you we have had some people who that's their heart. Maybe they wouldn't say that out loud, but that's what they feel. You know, what they would say is, you know, I really wasn't that bad. And, you know, Pastor, you were, you, were, you were horrible before you were saved. But, you know, I was a good kid and I grew up in a good family and my folks were real good people. And, I, you know, in high school, I was great. And I did algebra and trigonometry and just, just kept my nose clean. And college, I, I did great. And I got married and I've had a good family. And I'm a great father. I'm a great wife. I'm a great husband. I'm a great mother. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. And I know I'm not perfect, but you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Here's, here's what the Bible would say. I'm sorry to tell you this, but you're dead. You're dead. Without Jesus, you're dead. You say, but Pastor, I'm nothing like those people you described. I'm nothing like my neighbor. I'm nothing like those people on TV. You know, have you ever noticed this? Maybe you haven't. It's kind of morbid, but there's a lot of different conditions of corpses. You know, we had a bunch of firemen in the first service, and I bet those guys have seen wrecks. I bet guys in the military have been to the battlefield and and seen explosions, and, and, and I, bet, I bet they've seen some horrendous things. Corpses that you would hardly even recognize as, as having been alive. But you know what? I bet many of you have also been to a funeral, right? And a bunch of, bunch of little ladies were gathered around the casket saying, Doesn't he look good? Have you seen that? I've seen that a lot. I go to probably a lot more funerals than you do, but I see that a lot. Doesn't he look good? Doesn't she look good? Boy, she looks like she just get up and walk right out. But here's the thing. Dead is dead. Some of you are going to have a hard time with that. Because you're, you're just going to be thinking, Pastor, I am so much better than, than so-and-so. You, you know, you probably are. Maybe this will help. All right, line, line up 10,000 people along the, the rim of the Grand Canyon. Okay? 10,000 people, rim of the Grand Canyon. And we're going to try to jump across, okay? Now, you're going to have some people, and you give them, you give them 20 foot to run, whatever, you know. Give them their track shoes or shorts, whatever. There are going to be some people, you know, Winnie's going to, she's going to drag that foot along, you know. And if she don't trip before she gets to the edge, you know, she's probably not going to make it a foot or so. I'm sorry. Okay, that's the way it is. She's not going to jump very far, okay? You know, mostly she's probably going to slide down and crash, you know, about four times before she hits the, the bottom of the canyon, all right? Now, there's others of you, you're good jumpers. You're fast, you know. And you have your shoes on, and you're going you're gonna to take out of there, and you're going you're gonna to time it just right, and right at the edge of the canyon wall, bam, you're going to spring out of there. And, and there's a real temptation for you to look at Winnie and say, man, talk about a sorry jumper, man. You're, you ain't never going to make it. I'm, you know, I'm a whole lot better than you. You know, you may even have, you know, listen, you may even have people like, uh, like, what's his name? Mike Powell. Mike Powell, world record holder in the men's long jump. Jumped 29 feet, 4 inches. I don't know if you have, know how long that is, but that's, that's into the foyer. That's jumping from the stage into our foyer, almost out the door. 29 feet, 4 inches. That's an incredible jump. And I got a feeling if Mike Powell was one of those 10,000, he would even beat that. I bet he would jump over 30. I mean, he's trying to jump across the canyon. I bet he's going to jump over 20. I bet he's going to jump 30, 31 feet, 32 feet maybe. But here's the reality. Mike Powell, you and Winnie are all dying in the bottom of the canyon, okay? Because you're not making it across. And the Bible says in Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? That means you jumped, you tried, 
But you fell short of God's glory. You fell short of God's standard of righteousness. You see, that's the key. God's standard of righteousness. Not my standard. Here's where we get mixed up. We get mixed up in thinking what you think matters about my life or what I think matters about your life. Does it really? Who who are we standing before? We're standing before God. We're standing before the creator God who knit you together, who put you here, who made this world, whom everything belongs. He is the one whose standard matters. You know, let's say you do some horrible thing. Let's say you you commit adultery on, on your, your your wife, you know, and, and you had no reason to do that. I mean, you just you just did it and, and, and because you you, you, you you wanted more excitement or you got tired of your wife or whatever reason. You know the horrible thing? You could quickly find a bunch of people who would tell you that what you did was fine. Did you know that? I mean, I don't care what you do. You, you can always find people who are going to say, hey, you know what? You were justified in doing that. You know what? That, that was fine. You, you know what? You, you know, you, you deserve to do that. Now, ask that family's 10-year-old son or their 14-year-old daughter or ask that wife. You're going to get a different story, aren't you? But ultimately, here's the thing. It's not what you think. It's not what I think. It's what God thinks. You're not going to stand for judgment for me. I'm not going to stand for you. But we're both going to stand for God. And the Bible says, you're dead in your sins. You're dead in your transgressions. And what's the result of that? Well, verse 3. You ready? Among whom we all once lived in the passion of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, are you ready for it? Children of wrath. Now, thus far, here's the cool thing. You have no personal experience of the wrath of God. Isn't that great? You don't. Now, you've experienced the wrath of man, haven't you? You ever experienced the wrath of your mom and dad? You know, you did something, crossed the line, and man, fury came down. You know, you may have experienced the wrath of brother, sister. You may have experienced the wrath of your boss. Okay. But what you have not yet experienced only by God's grace is the wrath of God. Let me, let me tell you a few descriptor words that the Bible uses. Okay, you ready? Eternal destruction. Exclusion away from the presence of the Lord. Unquenchable fire. The lake of fire. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Eternal regret. Eternal hopelessness. To be tormented with fire and brimstone. To be the recipient of God's anger and fury. That's what's coming to every person who is spiritually dead when they die physically. Good news. Here's the good news, okay? Oh, and there's a bunch more coming next week. Please come back. A bunch more coming next week, okay? We're getting all the bad out today. Next week's coming, but I'm going to give you a preview of the good news, okay? Are you ready? Great word, were, okay? Were. Isn't that a great word? For some of you, that's where you're at today. You, just, you need to wear a t-shirt that says, were, you know? You need to go out today to Taco Mayo, and on your napkin as you're eating your burrito, you need to write the word were, and you just need to hold it up as a flag and say, were, okay? Because look what it says, verse 1, and you were dead. What does that imply? You're not dead anymore. Isn't that great? But God, it says in verse 4, because of his mercy, because of the greatness of the love which he loved us, he made us alive. 
God has made us alive. Notice what it says. You once followed. What does that mean? That means you don't anymore. You don't follow the current of the world anymore. You once lived in the passions of your flesh. What does that mean? You don't live in the passions of your flesh anymore. You look at, at your desires, your sinful desires differently. You deal with them differently. You're responsive to the word of God. You're not a child of wrath anymore. John 1 says you're a child of the king. God made you alive through the work of the cross, through repentance, through faith, through regeneration. That's a big word that means God made us alive. God has changed you and you're not what you were before. Now, more on that next week, but I want to close by asking you, okay, so if Paul's talking to the church, which he is, and if I'm talking to the church, which I am, and maybe most of you, I have no way of knowing this, but maybe most of you are in that were category. You were that, but you're not anymore. Well, let me ask you, what's the purpose then of us spending a Sunday talking about sin? Well, the purpose is a couple things. Number one, what you think about God is, is determined on a large part by how you think about sin and how you think about yourself and how you think about what you need. You see, for some of you, the cross is not that sweet. For some of you, Easter is always kind of a bum holiday. It's not Christmas, you know, it's, it's, there's not a lot of time off, there's not a vacation, and, and you're just not that excited. And I think the reason is this, because you don't see your perilous condition. About 10 days ago, uh, we knew that our family was going to be apart for about 8 or 9 days. And so we took a day, and everybody got to go but one of us. My oldest didn't get to, but everybody else, we went to Red Rock Canyon, just a little day trip, and we did a bunch of hiking. And uh, we, we got the idea from Betty Bauer. She's got a, a newlywed picture of, of her at Red Rock Canyon. If you ever go to her house, ask to see it. It's really good. Uh, but anyway, we went to Red Rock Canyon, and we, we did some hiking. And uh, we, we, there were several places where we went up onto the top of the canyon wall. And it's pretty steep. And some places there's steps. Some places they've kind of notched in uh, holes for your feet and, and your hands. Well, I got a two-year-old that believes that she does not need anybody, okay? And so we're walking, and, and I've got her, and I'll have her hand, and, and we'll start going, and we'll, it'll get tough. And, and the whole day, she's jerking her hand out, and she's saying, I can do it. I can do it, Dad. I can do it. And then she would go a few steps and then about fall and I would catch her. She would reach for me, you know. And, and so we had this whole, this whole day we had this relationship of get back. Where are you? Get back. Where are you? you know? and, but, but as soon as she'd get her footing, she'd jerk her hand away. Well, one of the reasons for that is that she really did not have a concept that, you know what, to fall would be really bad. I mean, there's places where if she fell, it'd been fine. But, but, but other places when we were kind of going up a steep spot and, and especially there, there was one space where we're, we're coming on the edge of the canyon there where if she would have felled and, and bumped a couple, she would have dropped 40, 50 feet and probably died. But you see, she didn't get that. She didn't understand that. And so because of that, as soon as she got her footing, she's jerking her hand away saying, I got it. I think there's a lot of people that because they are so soft on sin, because they don't see sin as it really is. Because they don't see their, 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 their revengeful attitude or their lustful attitude or their angry attitude or, or their heart that, that really doesn't cherish God. Because they don't see that, they are constantly jerking their hand out of Jesus' hand. It's because they don't see sin for the destruction that it is. They don't hate it like God hates it. And so they don't really think they need Jesus. You say, Pastor, that's not us. Yeah, do you ever go a day or two without reading your Bible or prayer? Why? 
Why do you do that? Why do you go a day or two without reading your Bible in prayer? Well, you could, you could throw up the trump card, I'm too busy, but come on. Let, let's, just, let's just throw that card away because it's junk, okay? Why don't we? It's because we think we can get along without it. True or false? True. That's why. It's because we get to where we think, you know what? I'm okay, and I'm not that bad a sinner. And I know there's other people, they need to read their Bible every day. But you know what? I, I needed to sleep in, and, and I'm okay. I'm fine. You know, the Bible says you're not fine. You're corrupt to the core. You're dead in your sins. And without Jesus, you're going to perish. And one of the things we need to learn from these verses, we need to see sin as God sees sin. Listen to Jesus. This is after he talks about anger, after he talks about lust, after he talks about divorce. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. What is Jesus teaching us there? Is he teaching dismemberment? You know, should we all carry a Swiss knife, you know, in case we need it? I don't think he's teaching that. I think what Jesus is teaching is that sin is deadly business, okay? It's not to be played with. It's not to be toyed with. It's not to be, to be sugar-coated. We need to see it for what it is. It is destroying. It is damning. It is corrupting. And when we spot it in our life, we need to go immediately to the cross. We need to have a hold of the hand of Jesus. And we need to put it down. Jesus said, deny yourself. What does that mean? Deny yourself. Tell yourself no. That, that old sinful self. Timothy. And Paul said to Timothy, flee from your, your youthful passions. Paul said in Romans 8, 13, put to death the deeds of the body. Folks, I believe that if we don't see sin like we ought to see it, you know what's going to happen? We'll say no to it, but we'll say no in a way that encourages it to keep coming. Did you know you can do that? My kids all the time, 10 times yesterday at least. Dad, can I play games on your phone? I can do one of two things there. I can say, you know, not right now. Not right now. Daddy needs to keep it by him because somebody might call. You know what that says? And you're going to say, well, you're just not a very good parent, Pastor. My kids would never do that. That's the same guy that thinks he can jump the Grand Canyon. But you know what that's going to do? Ten minutes later. Dad, can I, can I play games on your phone? You see, there's a way that you can say no that says, you still got a shot at this. Come back. There's also a way you can say no that says, don't ask again. You ever say no like that? No, do not ask again. That's what you're saying. My kids still come back, huh? Sometimes, sometimes sin's relentless. But, but you, do you hear what I'm saying? I mean, man, this, this spoke to my heart this week. Uh, you know, there's some things I just feel like God wants me to say because they're part of the text. There's other things that, this, man, this is where I was at. Because I, 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 I know that. See, that resonates with me. You know, I know there are things in my life that, that I, I'll say no to, but in the back of my mind, I'm waiting to see if it comes back. Because 
because my flesh desires it. But I need to learn, and you need to learn, that sin is not to be trifled with. And when we say no, we put it down. We put it to death. We go for the juggler. That's Paul's image, not mine. He said, put it to death. Friends, there is nothing worse than sin. You believe that? So many times we don't act that way, do we? We, 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 we talk sometimes like financial problems are worse than sin, don't we? We talk sometimes like relationship problems are worse than sin. Sometimes we talk like disease is worse than sin. It's, it's not. It's not. Remember what Jesus said when he was talking to his disciples? He said, man, don't fear men. What can they do? Worst thing to do is kill you. You know, you're like, isn't that the worst thing? It's not. It's not. Deal. Deal with your sin. As the Bible tells us to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Jesus, that, that you, you have given us life. That, that there are, are a multitude of people, I believe, in this room right now who can say, I was that, but I'm not anymore. I, I once followed, but I don't now. I once let, let my sinful desires just take over my life, but I don't anymore. Because of the grace and the power and the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'd give that to others. God, give that to to people here who need it today. God, give them faith to believe. Give them faith to, to step out and to respond to you. God, I ask you. Please work in hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to stand. And uh, we're going to sing together. We had a baptism in our first service. David Bates. Uh, no, that was a couple weeks ago. Stephen Rogers. Stephen Rogers was uh, baptized today. Confessed Christ publicly. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you, you have come to know Christ. You are a different person, but you've never been baptized. Maybe church membership. Maybe something like that. You do whatever God is telling you to do today. What are we going to sing, Jim? 294. Have page thine own way. 294. If you want to look it up in your books, page 294, have thine own way. You respond to the Lord in whatever way he's telling you to today.
seat, please. Do you love it when the microphone starts to work and then doesn't? And then come. All right, let me introduce you to some folks here. Uh, this is, go ahead and stand up here, guy. Just sit down. Now we're getting them back up. This is Tom and Becky Pearson, and Tom and Becky are coming today as candidates uh, for membership at LABC, one by, by letter and one by baptism. So would, would you affirm their candidacy with an amen? All right, you guys can be seated. Thank you so much. You be sure and come up and greet them afterward and uh, just uh, welcome them to the family. Amen. And uh, Andrew is right behind me. All right. Yeah, uh, just a few announcements before we dismiss. Uh, first of all, uh, thanks thanks for all you that came out to the Pregnancy Center concert uh, last night. I saw a lot of Lincoln Avenue folks out there. We had a lot of Lincoln Avenue folks helping, uh, just doing a lot of different ministry things just to make the Pregnancy Center concert go well. Uh, so just appreciate, appreciate that. Appreciate your support.